0: Right as Neil mentioned, so we are in our third week of walking through uh, the Gospel of Mark. Uh, if you're not doing so, I'd really recommend you, um, throughout the week, just read the chapter, read Mark one, read into Mark two, and it'll really help you to soak in the word as we uh, work through this book. Um, I wanna start with the story, a true story, happened this past week on Wednesday. Uh, so we had a pastor friend visiting from North Wales, he was passing through Liverpool, he said, I stopped by, so we had him over uh, for a meal, uh, known him a few years, knew him when was in Cardiff, but don't know him that well, so, you know, I like, kind of had a polite conversation, we had dinner, then, did, you know, did you like a cup of tea, so got him a cup of tea, we're talking with our tea, and then we hear, gosh, glass shattered, Elizabeth screaming, we're like, oh my, what just happened? Jane's the first on the scene, so Elizabeth's getting taller and taller and taller, so she grabs our kettle, our glass kettle, pulls it down, crash, I'll tell you the ending first, she's okay, no cuts, no (laughs) bursts, she's just fine, but in the moment, you know, it's like, my goodness, you know, and whose fault was this, this was my fault, okay, so I put the kettle there, so we're driving to members meeting, and Joy gives me that look, (laughs) Have you ever seen that look from your spouse, that's your fault, right, now I can say I'm sorry, I truly was sorry. It's my fault. I'm sorry. Uh, by God's grace, she was fine. But what if I had done that the next day and the next day? I could keep saying, I'm sorry, but at some point there needs to be action followed by remorse. So what we're going to do today is focus in on what is repentance? Uh, what does it mean when Jesus says, follow me? If you put the first slide up, please. So we'll start with a quote um, by A.W. Tozer. So it's a little bit earlier than that one. There you go. It says, "A thousand years of remorse over a wrong act would not please God as much as a change of conduct and a reformed life." So I could feel bad inside, but at some point Jesus calls us to action. It calls us to uh, repentance. And so, if you want to look along with me, uh, we're going to start in verse 14 of Mark 1. And so, what I want to do is really dig into what is. Jesus saying here. So we have the first words of Jesus in Mark this week. It's so kind of exciting as he starts to speak, starts to tell us what he wants to do uh, with his mission. So in verse 14, it starts with John. Now, after John was arrested, and we've talked about John the last few weeks, verse four just begins, John appeared, right? John just comes on the scene. There's no background. You don't have the birth stories like you have in other gospels. John is just there preaching. And now, just as fast, John's arrested. So what's what's happening here? And the word for arrest here means to hand over. If right? that sounds familiar to you, you know your Bible. Later in Mark, Jesus is handed over in Mark 9. He's predicting what's going to happen to him. In the same way, unjustly, John is handed over. So there's sort of a passing happening here. So John was the one who prepared the way. He has leveled the field. Last week, we read from Isaiah 40, At the end of the sermon, if you recall, there's that beautiful passage where every mountain is brought low, every valley is lifted up. So what does that mean? Like Part of the idea there is those who think a lot of themselves, they are brought down. Those who think nothing of themselves, Christ raised them up. So we're all on an equal ground here. So John has uh, prepared the way, and I thought a lot about John the last few weeks as we preached through this text. Uh, Matthew 11 tells us Jesus' words, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John. No one. Not Moses, not Abraham. Jesus is saying, here is the best of men. And what does the best of men say throughout the Gospels? He says, I am not worthy. Right? He says, behold, the Messiah who takes away the sin of the world. He says, he must increase, I must decrease. So John has prepared the way. He's come with humility for the king of kings. So the road is ready. So John has been arrested, and I don't want to pass by that word too quickly. How does the gospel start here? It's interesting it starts with persecution, right? So even before Jesus speaks in this gospel, we have hints that it's not going to be just a smooth road, right? There's going to be some bumps along this road, but God has prepared this road um, despite these bumps. So this call for John is a call to death, eventually. um, For us, it could be a death to prestige, a death to self, um, often a death to what the world calls gain. Uh, One commentator said of this, the arrest of John and the beginning of Jesus' ministry are intentionally correlated to show that the gospel is proclaimed and known in adversity and suffering, not in ease and comfort. So often the gospel comes with Suffering, maybe many of you have known that over the years, having to stick close to Christ through very difficult times, all right? So John is arrested, and now we come to Jesus. It says, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, verse 14. So we've had this word before, gospel, good news, in verse one. So remember, this is kind of a heading for the book of Mark, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, gospel simply means good news, and so what is Jesus proclaiming? He's come to a new area, Galilee. He is proclaiming the gospel. Um, this past week, when we were on Egbeth Road, I was talking to um, a man just about faith. And he said he'd been reading the Bhagavad Gita. And he said, I kinda like it, but I'd much rather focus on this life. I'm not as concerned about you know, my future lives that might or might not happen. I really need help in this life. And I thought about this text going through my mind as I prepared the sermon and kind of shared this with him that the the gospel is good news for now, right? It's good news for this life. It's good news for what God will do for us um, through salvation in the future as well. So Jesus comes proclaiming the gospel of God. So there's all kinds of good news. We have a lot of good news in this room right now. We have multiple pregnancies. That's good news. Uh, But here we have a particular type of good news, the good news of God. God. Now think about this even further. Who is this good news about? (coughs) Jesus is proclaiming the good news about himself, right? He is the object, right, and the subject of the good news. I am the good news, is what Jesus is saying. Uh, So Jesus tells us a few things here, and this good news is not a new idea. Uh, If you could show the next slide, just a few passages you're familiar with from Isaiah. It says, How beautiful. Or back up. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Right, so this is the idea found in the Old Testament. Um, further, Isaiah 52 says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings the good news. So we have the one bringing the good news now, the one who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. So Jesus has fulfilled these prophecies. He says himself that he will do so. Um, In Luke 24, Jesus says, uh, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms Must be fulfilled. So John, he fulfilled a little something, right? Isaiah 40, as the one preparing the way. What Jesus says is, "I have fulfilled all the scriptures." We have promise fulfilled through God's good news coming in His Son. Um, And the way I want to approach this text today, as we look at the calling of a few disciples, uh, is kind of a framework for really how to look at this gospel. Um, So Jesus sets out his mission in verse 15. Put the next slide up, please. So use verse 15, I think, as a framework to look at these calling stories of the disciples this week. So here we have three things Jesus says. Um, he says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So we're gonna look at uh, what do these three things mean? And really, we're gonna apply this throughout these calling narratives. So first, the time is fulfilled. So now is the time. So John's moving off the scene. Um, Jesus has endured temptation of Satan. His ministry is beginning. We have several passages that talk about Jesus coming at a particular moment in time. Um, Have you ever thought about in the thousands of years of human history, we have 33 years or so of the Son of God walking? Not a lot of time, right? A very short time. And then we have about three years of ministry. That's what we have. That's the time, right? There's a particular time and moment that Christ came. Paul says in Galatians 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So Paul's saying there's a particular time that God had prepared for the son to come. On Ephesians 1, Paul says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. So just remember this. is not uh, God isn't deciding later. Let me just make up a plan. This is God's plan all along for redemption um, of his people. Another translator translated this phrase, the time is fulfilled as the time has come to pass. Uh, Now is the time that we can proclaim him. So we have, the time is here. Next, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. So let's kind of link these phrases a bit. Um, what I've found as I get older, uh, believe it or not, there's more people I've known who have died. Just a fact. Some older than me, some my age, some younger, and it's always sad. But what I've been reminded of is like how short our time is. right? Our life is short. We have a few breaths here and then we're gone. And Jesus is telling us, now's the time, right? This is what you have to proclaim me. So the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is here. So let's just take a brief look at what this phrase means and how we can use this kind of throughout uh, the book of Mark. There's been plenty of read, books written about this phrase, uh, the kingdom of God. Um, I want to focus on a few aspects of what this means. Um, The first one is simply uh, Christ's kingship, right? God is the one who is king. We think about the kingdom of God, it's not the kingdom of Caesar Augustus, it's not the kingdom of anyone else, right? This is the kingdom of God. And what that means is we have a recognized authority, we have one who is in control, in Luke 17, uh, Jesus says the kingdom of God is within you. So there's a sense in which God owns us, right? Um, he says in my, Matthew six ten, 10, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done. So there's a sense of submission to the king when we think about what is uh, the kingdom of God. Uh, next, complete salvation, right? The kingdom of God has the sense in which all of us, body and soul, are owned by the king. We recognize he's the king of our hearts, the of our lives, and we obey him as such. In Mark 10, we'll see this later in the book, the rich man uh, comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the response is, who can be saved? Right? The answer is no one, right? apart from Christ. And so we have complete salvation in Christ. Um, third, there's a sense in which the kingdom of God is given to us the church, Matthew 16 talks through the keys of the kingdom are given to us, right? We're the representatives of Christ on this earth and that never ceases to blow my mind that of all the things God could do to save people was to use us, right? Broken people who need Jesus. God chose to use us, his church. And finally, there's a sense in which this spreads out throughout eternity. The new heaven and the new earth uh, will be filled with his glory. He says in Matthew 25, inherit the kingdom I prepared for you. So we're coming into uh, God's kingdom. So these meanings are all related, but there's a sense in which we have to submit to the king, right? So the time is now. Submit to the king. Um, so how are we to do this? Repent and believe the gospel. Let's think through what that means, right? So John said something similar. Verse four of chapter one, he says, John was preaching a baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sins. So here's what John's saying, repent and then be forgiven. Jesus doesn't end there, right? He says, repent and believe in what, right? You can believe in all kinds of things. You can uh, believe your team will win or some other team will win, but here we have something specific. Believe in the gospel. So think back to what I said earlier. What is the gospel? It's God's good news about his son. So Jesus said, repent, believe in me. So we're given the object of repentance. So in this phrase, as I've thought through this, we have condemnation, right? If you are repenting from something, then you are condemned, right? There's something you have to say, I shouldn't have done that. I was wrong. I should not have put that kettle by the counter. I should not have done that. There's all kinds of things we can repent from. But Jesus is saying, believe in me. Believe in my good news. Here is where you will find salvation. So with that in mind, we're gonna look at some callings of the disciples. So the first one takes place in Mark 1, 16 through 20. You wanna look along with me. Uh, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew the brother of Simon, casting a net to the sea, for they are fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So have you ever read the Gospels and thought, you know what, I'd like some more information. <laughs> you know, what's, what's going on here? Uh, so we have this calling of four people who Jesus comes along and says, follow me, and they are leaving it, and they're going. All right, so if you walk out the door today and somebody said, follow me, I don't know what you call that in Liverpool, but in America we call that stranger danger, Right? <laughs> <laughs> So what, what's going on here? And the Gospels do give us a bit of help here. So I'm going to read a passage from John 1. This is not the first time these men had heard of Jesus. Um, so I'm going to read from John 1, uh, 35 to 41. If you want to look long, you can. If you want to stay where you are, that's okay too. John 1, 35 to 41. The next day again, John this is John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus and as he walked and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon's brother, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John, and you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. And most commentators, most interpreters think this story happened prior to this calling on the boat. So uh, here you have John's disciples, which are including Andrew. So there's been a time period where they've been following John the Baptist and they've heard of him, heard the Messiah. They're not following John as the Messiah. They already see Jesus is the one. So they're following a teacher, but my goodness, they are waiting to be called by Jesus. Jesus says, come with me. And so when Jesus called, what does the text say? Immediately. (laughs) They were ready, right? This isn't blind faith. They're not just kind of jumping off a cliff seeing what would happen. They know, here is the Messiah, he has come. I'm gonna leave whatever it takes to follow him. Um, so what we see throughout the gospel here of Mark is a path of discipleship. We'll see this throughout. Have you ever wondered, I thought about this a lot this week too, why is there so many stories about the disciples in Mark? Right? This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not Jesus Christ and the disciples. It's Jesus Christ, uh, because these are the men God chose to use to further his message, to further his kingdom. So when we see the disciples, we see Simon the fickle become Peter the rock, right? Uh, we meet these men who uh, lack spiritual insight at times, just saying, what are you saying, Jesus? They lack sympathy. They lack humility. i can give you text for all these. They lack a forgiving spirit. They lack prayer that will last. They lack courage. This verse has struck me this week, Mark 14, 50. And they all left him and fled. Jesus is about to die. They all left him and fled. But what do we see here? Despite this, it required courage uh, to be uh, able to take this first step, to say, Jesus, I want to follow you. So think about that first step you took if you're a follower of Jesus today. Maybe you had a jump off the boat moment early in your Christian walk. And many of you came from atheism, came from agnosticism to follow Jesus, right? You had to leave something. But maybe now we're more like the disciples in Mark 6.35. And when it grew late, his disciples came and said to him, this is a desolate place and the hour is late. Send them away to go to the surrounding countryside and villages to buy something to eat. They're saying, Lord Jesus, I am tired. (laughs) I am tired. Send them away. Think about where you are today and where you want to be. We have hope of redemption. But that first step in following Jesus, the first step of discipleship is repentance. Repent and follow me. So let's dig a bit closer into what's being said in this text. Verse 17, Jesus said, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So kind of a fun phrase there, you kind of play around with it, you know, they're out fishing, fishing men, but there is a bit of a deeper meaning to this here. There's several times in the Old Testament where God used an analogy of fishing, but often it's judgment. So I'll just read one from Amos 4.2, the Lord God has sworn by his holiness that behold the days are coming upon you, listen to this, when they shall take you away with hooks, every last one of you with fish hooks. Ouch! Right, so there's some judgment happening here. You're going to be taken away with a fishhook. So what we have here is judgment giving way to mercy through the sun. Right, we're gonna you're going to fish, but in such a way that there's mercy happening here that these fish will be redeemed through the sun. I also love the call and response that we see in this first passage. Follow me, Jesus says. Verse 17, verse 18. They followed him. Then verse 20, immediately they followed him. All right, so this is our first calling passage. We have the first four disciples here. Our second one, again, keep that framework in mind. Keep it going through your head. The time's fulfilled, right? Jesus says, come now. Um, Jesus didn't tell them back in John 1, now's the time. He says, this is the time. Come now. What do they do? Immediately. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. <clears throat> Now let's look at a guy named Levi. So turn with me to Mark 2. Um, I'm gonna start at verse 13. Read through 17. Um, He went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. So kind of similar setup. Follow me. What happened? They followed. Let me stop there for a second. So, first, who is this guy, Levi? Uh, so, this is um, also known as Matthew, the tax collector, right? We see him come up in Matthew, we see him in Luke. So, sometimes he's named Matthew, sometimes he's named Levi, uh, but same person here. Um, and what is he told? Same thing. Follow me. What is the response? He followed. So as you think through this word, follow me, right? Here in Mark 1 and Mark 2, we have this call given to very specific people, follow me. When we get to Mark 10, Jesus says, if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And I've taken comfort in that this week, right? It's not just this person, if anyone would follow me. Here are the steps to discipleship. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. In Luke 9, 59 This just reads, then he said to another, follow me. We don't even know who this person is, right? So here's somebody else, Jesus, saying to them, follow me. In John 10, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So what is following Jesus? Well, it's certainly obedience, There's a sense in which it's an active step. So I was born in an age in which there were no smartphones, My kids' minds are blown, right? So uh, let's say that I was going to a friend's house and I didn't know the way. You might say, follow me if I'm driving behind them. If I just say in my head, I am following you, right? In my head, but if I don't take action, I'm never gonna get there, right? So there's a sense in which following isn't just passive, right, it's active, it's taking steps to follow Jesus. Jesus says in John 12, 26, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. If you're a servant of Jesus, you're taking active steps to follow him. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So there's response from the believer to follow. Jesus calls. If the Spirit works in your heart, you have to respond. And this is blessed by God, response from God. God says, I will honor you. (laughs) How? Like through the Son, through the love the Son gives us. To redeem us. Uh, so Mark uses this word 19 times of following. So following, uh, next slide, is an act that involves risk go one more. <laughs> there we go. Uh, one. Our slides are maybe messed up here. Um, I'm just going to read this quote. It's on there somewhere. "following is an act that involves risk and cost. It is something uh, one does, not simply what one thinks or believes. So to give up things for Jesus, to give up sin, to give up pride, to submit yourself to the king, it's an act of risk, right? It was risky for the disciples to leave their boats to follow him, uh, but it's one that God blesses. So this is an invitation as well as a command when Jesus says to follow me. Um, I want to dig just a little bit deeper um, into that phrase. Uh, So Simon Peter is called in Mark 1. To follow me, um, I want to read some words from John 21 as well. So John 21, this is post-resurrection. So Jesus appears um, in a very kind of interesting passage. It's only recorded in John. Uh, and It says, this is Jesus speaking. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, this is Jesus speaking to Peter, follow me, right? So Jesus saying, you're gonna die, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, following them, the one who had leaned back against him during supper. Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to him, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, it is my will that will be done until I come. What is it to you? Follow me. So what a phrase there. Jesus is saying, don't worry about that person. You know, maybe you've seen people who've fallen away or maybe you've seen people who have a path that you wanted. What does Jesus say? Don't worry about that. Follow me. Right, so each of us are called individually um, as well as the church to follow Christ. Um. Next slide, please. Um, So what does following Christ mean? We've talked a little bit about discipleship. um, But there's a sense in which it's also death to self. Um, Augustine said, then after this, the Lord Christ said, follow me. Not in the same sense as before. So the first step to discipleship, repentance. That's the first steps. But here, when he called the disciples, for then too he said, follow me. But then to instruction, now to a crown. So following Christ is not without reward. And one day, very soon from now, we will see our reward. So to kind of bring this in, what I want to do is focus on just what does it mean to follow Jesus in discipleship. So I'm going to go back to Mark 2 and read that latter half, verses 15 to 17. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. So a few things to think through first. What is discipleship? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? next slide. I think the first thing it would mean is we're missing a slide. I not know what happened today. It's okay. Um, keep trying back, back, back. Oh, oh, one more. You're doing great, Karis. We'll find it. I'll start talking and then you'll find it. Okay. So the first step is having a relationship with Jesus. What did Jesus do with his disciples? He talked to them, talk to Jesus, talk to him daily. Uh, let him know your hurts, your fears, your joys. Talk with Jesus. Second, there was active promotion of Jesus' mission. Jesus said, Follow me, and there was a response. And third, there's total commitment. Right? There wasn't this half hearted. There's total. They left their nets, they left their father. Levi left his table. And how did they do that? They did that immediately. So, this immediately is a favorite word of Mark, and it's worth just thinking through. Jesus called them, they were ready, they didn't sit around. Uh, not wanting to alter their life for the king of kings. And so here in Mark 2, Jesus goes to Levi's house. We see tax collectors. So you know these are folks that um, the Jews did not think well of. So Levi may have been an ethnic Jew, but probably not a practicing Jew if he's a tax collector. So we have tax collectors. We have this class of people called sinners. This is not any type of official class. It's just people who, um, you know, were not, let's say they were of ill repute. And then we have disciples. It's the first time Mark uses the word disciples. So we have followers coming behind Jesus. And what does he say to them? They're saying, why does he eat with sinners and tax collectors? And that's easy to think through yourself, right? Maybe you've been there. You know, I'm trying to live a good life. Why is he doing this? Why is Jesus doing this? And his response is, he's not come to call the righteous uh, to repentance, uh, but sinners. And there's much irony there because who are the sinners? They're not just the tax collectors. They're not just the sinners, right? It's the scribes. It's you and me. So Jesus has identified himself with sinners and has said, repent, and believe the gospel. And I think as we think into the future, again, time's fulfilled, kingdom's at heaven, repent. This is sort of a hint at the marriage supper supper of the Lamb, right? Who is Jesus calling to the table? It's not the righteous people that think they're righteous, right? It's the sinners. He's saying, everyone come to me. Um, Revelation 19, just to read this passage, says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Who is Jesus called? Those who are made righteous through his Son, those who have repented and believed in him. So just to take this a step further as we think through what is a disciple, uh, what is discipleship, I want to end with 1 Corinthians 11.1, where Paul says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So discipleship doesn't stop with just you following Jesus. Christian life is not just me and Jesus. It's me in the church worshiping Jesus, right? So be imitators of me as I follow Christ. So what we wanna do is be people that are following Jesus so that other people see that and also uh, want to follow Jesus. All right, so last slide, if we have it. <laughs> see what happens? There we go, good job. Uh, so what does it mean today for you that the kingdom of God is at hand? Um, how can you use your time and talents to honor Jesus. Maybe there's things you can do through time that you're not doing that will honor King Jesus. And most importantly, have you repented and believed the gospel, the gospel that Christ has come to forgive us of our sins. He's died for us, and he will one day raise us to new life. What do you need to turn from today to turn towards Jesus? And finally, how can you follow Jesus such a way that others will also be led to follow him? Maybe you've seen people who their faith is contagious, Right? Maybe you want to be that person, right? How can we be somebody who sees faith in us and wants to follow Jesus more? It's my encouragement today. If you know Jesus, be somebody who has an active faith that honors the Lord. If you don't know him, come talk to me. Come talk to Neil about what faith in Christ means. I'm going to pray and then hand it over to Ryan. Um, Father, we thank you for today. God, we do thank you for this gospel you've given us. Pray you'd work in our hearts to draw us closer to you. Um, even today, Lord, as we come to worship as your people. Christ name we pray. Amen.